Exit. 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 Hello. So, Earthbound. So, I like it. So, a whole so, lot. So, you, you, it's funny. You, so, you, you like you, you, you talk about this thing all the time. But what, what is it? What is Earthbound? The, what is, what is Mother Two? It's the sequel to Mother One. And the prequel to Mother 3, the greatest trilogy of all time. It's an RPG, but it's also not. It's funny, except when it's really sad. What else can I say about it? It's a good time. So most people will be familiar with anything related to Earthbound through Smash Brothers, as is unfortunately the case with a lot of uh, Nintendo's dearest franchises. All my favorite things, people only know, like, the base, like, what Smash Bros. has given, which is fine. I'm not yeah. bitter about it. <laughs> it's like you got Fire Emblem and uh, the Mother characters, and uh, it's like I gotta sit over here watching people be like, "Oh, oh, yeah, Samus from Smash Bros, right?" Yeah, Metroid. I love her. He's great. That's, <laughs> She's great. That's see, Earthbound was a very formative game for me. So the fact that people even know about it is like, it makes me yeah. happier than not. But also, of course, and seeing, I, I suppose the fact that uh, Lucas and Ness are still in uh, Smash Bros. Well, I mean, like all of the characters are in there now, but the fact the Lucas fact is even in, in there, there to begin with is fucking awesome. Yeah, like I don't think um, we talk about that enough. The fact that we were able to get Ness, obviously having been in it since '64, is like he's kind of mm. like you cut, you gotta put him in now. But isn't that an isn't that just absolutely wild though? Because I think even that was a was ballsy because I Earthbound, don't know. Look like, at, I know it I know it has its cult following. But look and maybe, at look at like um look at Nintendo in nineteen ninety nine, was it when that released? Nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine? Earthbound ninety eight. No, no, Smash Bros. Earthbound was ninety four. Thank you. That was like I know it was earlier than ninety nine. That's all. That was all the thinking I did there. Yeah, Smash Bros. But yeah, Smash Bros. Smash Bros. That was that was ninety eight, wasn't it? I th I feel like it was ninety nine. It might have been ninety eight. Either way, think of Nintendo in the late nineties and think about what they have to offer. God, that's such bullshit. It was January nineteen ninety nine. Okay, well, so <laughs> think about every Nintendo franchise in the late nineties of Nintendo. And everything is represented. There's nothing missing. You know what I mean? Every big yeah. franchise is present in one or two instances. The only characters who get multiple franchises is Mario, because it's Mario, and Pokemon, because it's Pokemon. Right. Like, it is the perfect roster to represent Nintendo during that period of time. And Ness absolutely is part of that, because despite... It not being super big in the West and only having one game in the West. Those two games at the time were huge in Japan, still are huge in Japan, are now huge here. Like, they are as much a part of Nintendo's history as anything, you know? Mm. A lot of the developers moved from 
uh, working on Earthbound to working on Pokemon. So the the charm, the heart, the soul that you find in Pokemon games, it's partly because of Earthbound. If you like Pokemon, you should thank Earthbound. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many things that connect Earthbound to Nintendo's history. And I think for me, Earthbound is the perfect, like, microcosm. It's a, a, the perfect macrocosm of all the microcosms of RPGs. That's wild. It's a universe. It, it, it's its own universe. Self-containing. But also, it's the kind of thing that if you've never played an RPG, it's a fun experience. And if you've played a million RPGs, it's a great parody. That's always fascinating to me when, like, an outlier from a genre is the one that makes me enjoy it. Um, I feel like that makes like, sense, though, because it's like, normally you don't like the conventional aspects of the game, so you need something to um, to break it up, you know? I know, but it's like, because it it's not necessarily that Earthbound is spitting in the face of RPGs before it. Oh, absolutely it's just, not. It's just so whimsically enamored with its own sense of reality yeah the a, a good i think parody... we should actually pause here and actually really like go over in basic terms what earthbound is because i thought i, I guess i thought the... i explained it pretty well but i could give it another shot well just like the actual game is you you're you play as a young boy ness who most people will know from smash bros and you wake up and you all of a sudden find yourself in the midst of some grand cosmic politics and which is immediately brought back down to the, a surface level because you have to go on a Pokemon-esque journey to eight different locations, fight eight different bosses and collect all of the funny things to, uh, what does the soundstone do again to, it, for buzz buzz? It channels your power with the earths and allows you to unlock your true potential after unlocking Magicant, which is the right. mo- which is the world which takes place inside your mind, which is, I could talk about that just as its own episode, but the game itself, I'd say, is in the shortest possible terms, it is an RPG that takes place in the quote-unquote modern day of the 90s. Instead of being a fantasy game, it is a game based in uh, a uh, sort of what what's what's the word what's the thing they call it where that you are you do caricatures you draw the people on the street the caricatures it's a caricature was, of america yeah. caricature totally... caricature america caricature it's a caricature americature yes there you go hell yeah so um, with like because of that it is able to tackle so many different themes relating to American capitalism or consumerism or America's a big piece of shit. Shout out the KKK. All right, let's uh, hold on to that sound bite for later. <laughs> Love how you didn't follow through with that at all. Just a solitary shout out. Um, the boys in blue. Yeah, that, that, that's oh, they're st- the boys that's in still- blue. I never That's thought of still, that. So maybe the maybe the wildest part of the whole game to me is that there's that whole detour, and it is a detour. Like they, they literally like they rip you away from whatever's actually going on at that point in the game to go uh, deal with Paula and 
see uh, that's whatever's go i i would love to see i need to pick your brain about this game because we've never really talked about earthbound we've talked about it but we've never really like discussed yeah we just agree that it's great and move right on. but like there are so many minute aspects of the game that are so interesting to me and so like prominent in how it presents itself like as a pro like a the antithesis to the prototypical rpg and why it works so well and why it it is it's why everybody tries to emulate it now it's why like the quirky rpg trope exists it's because this game did it so well and people went it, it it's like people saw fucking I don't know what's like a perfect thing. They saw the perfect thing and they're like, "I'm gonna try and make that." And then they make a lesser version, and it's like, "Ah, oh, nice try." But we already have. I don't know if there's a term for that specifically, but that's definitely a thing. Well, because it's like, um, uh, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. You know? Yeah, it's like you're not you're not making this because you necessarily had uh your own phenomenal original idea. There's like there's still that bit of homage going on no matter how tr- hard you try to make it not that. Right. It's um see I w- see I, um, I want to ask you so many questions and I don't know where to begin, you know? Okay, let me let me start with what I like about it because okay. Because I'm thinking of moments. I'm thinking of moments where it's like, how did you react to this when this happened? Because this was crazy, you know? Oh, I'll definitely remember if you hit me with a few of those things. You know what? One of the things that sticks with me the most, actually, is when I first got shroomed uh, by one of the Ramblin' Shrooms. Iconic. And it fucks with your control scheme. I think it's like every 30 seconds or every uh, 60 seconds, it, it alternates what it it, it'll like i think logistically it's taking the d-pad and rotating it 90 degrees yeah but but that's so so just just when you've gotten used to what the controls are supposed to be they switch again yeah and all i'm trying to do is get to a hospital so that i can get this mushroom off me yeah and from there on i'm just like actively avoiding the mushrooms like trying to bullshit like despawn them as i'm going through areas right and so you never play you didn't play with a a guide or anything did you no i i think i may have looked up like one or two things where i was really stuck see Um, because most of the most of the time i just went to the hint guy if i didn't know that's so funny that's so funny the hint guy is the most useless oh yeah npc in the entire world because for people who don't know every copy of earthbound at least in america was uh it it was sold with a giant player's guide that gives you a full walkthrough of the entire game. So there is no way possible for you to have purchased the game without also having purchased the guide. Or if you're playing it in the modern day, there's the internet. And so the hint guy's presence is the funniest thing in the world to me because he I've never once spoken to him. But it's But isn't that it's isn't nice that, that he's there. Still just- the fact that, because like, I didn't know this, right? Because I played it emulated and I didn't do my research on the physical release or anything like that. But it's so funny to me that you say that because that completely gets the essence of the game to me in how it 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 has, we can say it has a, a dreamlike nature to it. It has a, a childlike nature to it in just the creative process. And it would, like, 
if I asked a kid to make a game, it would make total sense to me that they would be like, if I was like, okay, and what happens if I'm confused? And they're like, but that, I, but and then you go and talk to the man in the in the middle of the town, and and he and he and 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 he and I had a red cup in my drink this morning, and then I had, and then we went to the and and he gave me, he'll tell you the hint yeah. so that you can. <laughs> You like get you it. Had to stop. Yeah, you had to stop me there. I was thinking about it for a while, but yeah, uh, but, it's very. Like, the, you know what I mean? I like, do. It's, it's the best way. And and Shikasato Itoi, the the creator and and lead designer on the game, um, said it best. A tagline that he didn't even make up. The fans kind of coined it, and then he adopted it later. Is it? It turns kids into adults and adults into kids. And I think that's a great way to describe it because it does. Yeah, it, you give, give that some poetry snaps. Right. It holds that duality <laughs> of of humanity that it it brings you back down to Earth and also shoots you into outer space. You but know, isn't it? And I think that I think and I was discussing this with my my girlfriend just the other day. We were talking about how. I or at least I was I was I was realizing that a lot of my favorite films are very funny mm. with moments of like just like out of nowhere profound sadness or or vice versa where they're mostly sad mm. and then there's every now and then punctuation of funny. See, I've talked about this a whole bunch. My favorite television show of all time is Scrubs. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked to you about this many a time before. Have you seen it yet? I've I've never I know the, the funny dance Fortnite. Yeah, see that's that's so fucked up that they just stole that dance <laughs> and now people think it's a Fortnite dance, but it's a Scrubs dance. It's a Donald yeah. Faison dance. Anyway, that show is fantastic because most of it is extremely silly, but mm-hmm. it also takes place in a hospital, so serious stuff does happen. And so when it happens, the best way I've described it is comedy and tragedy have to go hand in hand together. Because yeah. when you're laughing with the characters and something tragic happens, it hits you harder. And when you're grieving with your characters and something funny happens, it hits you harder. And yeah. that's a really hard balance to strike. And Scrubs does it with such beautiful, like, uh, like just, I don't even know how to describe it. It just nails it every time. And that's what I look for in, like, not perfect, but like my favorite things, as well as you were saying, when it combines those two things, it enhances each emotion profoundly. And that's right. why Earthbound works is because it will make you laugh and then it'll make you fucking cry over yeah. and over. And you don't know when either will happen because it's not a pattern. Sometimes the game is real funny for a long time. And then there's long stretches where nothing funny happens and you just are having a time. You know what, though? It's not just that it's constantly funny and then punctuated by serious moments. There's a lot of mundanity in this game. Mm. And I really appreciate that because I think that, like, the like the satire in this is desert dry. It's And it's hilarious for it. Like, when you... the The whole like initial quest line with the what's the band name i'm sorry the runaway five come on man the runaway five thank you but the, known the in whole... japan is the tonzuru brothers that's just cooler right well they're based on the the snl group uh the blues brothers 
See, that much I picked up on. Yeah, but then they changed it. They changed the colors of them to be red and green so that they wouldn't get sued because it was way too... They were just wearing black suits like the Blues Brothers. Which is hilarious because this the soundtrack contains a bunch of samples of very popular uh, rock music. Oh, so much. It will. But, yeah, Itoi was very influenced by uh, American and British music. And you yeah. can hear it in, in everything. We don't, we can, we could have a whole episode on the soundtrack alone. But anyway, the, the thing that I wanted to get at was the, the, the side quest there, not really a side quest. It's a main thing, but but this is what I mean. Everything in the game feels like a detour. (laughs) Like nearly everything. Nothing is, your goal isn't to do anything. You're simply exploring the world and you find, you fall into quirky situations that you have to get your way out of and that's These absolutely absurd cul-de-sacs and when you're dealing with like the business execs and the like the people that that the runaway five are in debt to yeah and they're like nah, tell you what choose on a cigar you get me a million dollars i'll let you go <laughs> it's like and then you is... and then you go and find a million dollars I, it, it, but isn't isn't it? It's like it's not actually a million dollars. It just says like bundle of of dollars. Yeah, or it's, bundle you of can't cash. you can't spend it. Anyway. It's it's an it's a separate item. It's a key item that you must yeah. show to him. But it's so like it's so on the nose with it. How like specific? Another one of my favorites, the Apple Kid. He's just like this neglectful, chubby inventor guy, and he's a loser, and nobody likes him. Uh, and then there's the orange kid who's like super cool. And if you go to him and give him money, he gives you a useless item. You go to the apple kid and he's just like, I'm hungry. Can you give me food? And you give him food. And then he gives you like extremely like necessary items. Yeah. Like it, the game does that constantly where you, you have to take your brain out of RPG mode and just like have fun. I think, and you'll like. Ex- because you're not, you don't have to. A ton of RPGs. I, it's not even about taking my brain out of RPG mode. It's just I have to. I, I I have to completely alter the way that I engage with a video game. Yeah, nothing you do really makes sense. You don't really follow exactly. any no train logic. of logic. But you do it, and it the lack of sense starts to make sense. You just sort of go like, oh there's something interesting going on here and then that leads me here and i you just kind of go with the flow and eventually you adapt to it so i mentioned the hint system earlier and that's why i was curious because as someone who's played the game a couple million times uh i don't i'm very curious to know like what things you might have missed because there's so much to do in this game and if you're not combing every single area there are a lot of like big things that you can miss and so i want to find out if there's anything big that you might not know about because that's what's so interesting to me is you can absolutely go through this game multiple times and never find big things yeah so i think the the first one to me is uh the sesame seeds did you do that plot line I'm going to take your stun silence. No, 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 because I remember something about sesame seeds. I think I... It's some guy's looking for them for, for his food? Nope. No? All right, then I have no idea. There's... Uh, I'll see if I can jog your memory. In the desert, there's a black sesame seed. 
and you can talk yeah, okay. to Okay, I was going to say, one of the things that stumped me the most, yeah. and I was ag- I was going to the hint guy <laughs> hoping that he would help me about it. <laughs> nope. What? That's, the, that's it. So did you talk to him? The sesame seed? Yeah. Yeah. So he's in love with a white sesame seed, but they're, they've, they, they can't find each other, so you got to go find her. It's literally like one pixel. Yeah, it's a. I couldn't. It's, I. I, it's I thought one, it was a joke. <laughs> it's one white pixel in a desert, and you have I thought to it find was, it. I, I thought it was actually a joke because it's like, oh yeah, well I'm I'm the black sesame seed, and no, uh, you know, I oh I'm never. It's like the, I thought the joke was that he's never gonna find love. I thought it was a joke. No, you find love, and you find the white sesame seed, and you tell her about him, and they have a happy reunion. And you don't get anything for it. You just make them happy. And I fucking love that. That's the most adorable shit ever. They didn't need to put that in the game, but they did it. I don't think, like... And I I find them every playthrough. I always find them because it's like, I don't get anything for this. There's no point to it. I already know what they're going to say. But I want them to find each other every time. It's just cute. I swear to God, man. If you, I think if you took out everything in this game that quote-unquote doesn't need to be there, this would be a five-hour game at best. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, like, there are so many things that, like, did you find the insignificant item in the hospital? I think so. Did you deliver it to the man in the bakery? Absolutely not. Do you know what he gives you? I trashed it. That's unfortunate. He gives you a pair of dirty socks. And if you throw those dirty socks at an enemy, it paralyzes them. That's terrific, right? We're getting back into normal RPG territory here. (laughs) Yeah, but there's so many, like, that's two things. But I'm the kind of person who needs to find everything forever. And yeah. so whenever these, like, the game rewards you with funny, it rewards you with brevity and, and, and happiness. And that's why I love it so much, I think. And not to mention, I think the biggest thing for me, and I'm, I'm, I was really trying not to bring up the name of the, the U game, the under game, but I'm going to say I think I, I think I finally I've thought about it for so long. I think I pieced together why it bothers me so much. And it's because the idea of pacifism doesn't necessarily mean the lack of action and the lack of violence, if that makes sense. If you notice in Earthbound, you don't kill anybody. You never kill anybody. Every single enemy is not fighting for themselves they are either brainwashed or being controlled or being influenced by the evil forces and when you fight them the defeating an enemy text says that the enemy became tame or they returned to normal or they you know they left they they leave you alone you know and i think that is incredibly important to the point of the game because you were not on this bloodbath trying to kill these people you're just trying to get them to reason with you and obviously in the context of an rpg battles fighting you need it in some context but it's also like the idea of you know 
I'm a pacifist, but if there's a Nazi, you punch him, you know? That's the, it's, it's a simple ideology where it's like going around and using pacifism exclusively doesn't always net you the best rewards. Some, sometimes violence is necessary when you won't listen to reason. But then this is inverted at the end, and this is very important, and this is a big spoiler, so people who haven't played it, look out. None of the bosses, none of the final bosses in any of the three Mother games are beaten through violence. All three of them have a unique mechanic that exclusively lets you defeat them, quote-unquote, using love, friendship, pacifism, and that action like that lack of action shows that like at the end of the day you've gone through all of the goons and the the uh underlings but the only way to stop the evil at its root is with love and passion and kindness and that's a beautiful message that i think undertale it's not that it misses it it's that it goes too far into it it goes you're there from the beginning into pacifism and I think that um, that ending, the ending of each game, um, you know, for Earthbound, because Matt, that's the only one you've played, the example is, you don't beat Gygus. You can't beat Gygus. He's imp- he is impenetrable defenses. He is impossible to kill. You defeat him by praying to your friends and reminding him and showing him of the goodness of humanity that drives him literally insane to the point that he collapses in on himself that evil cannot exist when the belief in the goodness of humans exists and is presented against evil and i think that's a beautiful message as simplistic as it might be and without spoiling the other two games each one handles it in a different way that sparks emotions that i've never felt a game uh spark in me ever like it's beyond anything and each of the three games of the mother series do it masterfully and that's my spiel thank you (laughs) (laughs) shout Um, out to master belch i i really like undertale um i like it too (laughs) i like it a whole lot i just think it's it's funnier to say i hate it because you know everybody loves it and it's it's already had so much praise heaped on it and it's like i get it i know good but it also felt that same way and that's why i put it off for so long but i and i i get it really because i know that you have been it's almost like if I don't know, if you spent like 10 years dedicated to a craft and you were finally getting some attention and then some five-year-old came out of nowhere and did the exact same thing and got all of the love and attention. It definitely... Because they're a five-year-old. Yeah, it's... I, I don't even know that there's like a contemporary example of like thing... Like what? what's like a film that like was a remake or something or influenced by something that became more popular than its predecessor? Oh, I mean, okay, wanna... no, here, here's a great example... The fucking okay, Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is, I know the the uh, the concept for Indiana Jones was taken from like those um, those fifties like pulp fiction um, adventure movies and comics and stuff. Sure, 
And if you watch them, they're literally just Indiana Jones from the outfits to the action to the set pieces, everything. It's just Indiana Jones. They just modernized it. But nobody talks about those old, old uh, movies, even though they have like star studied actors from their time in them. They know Indiana Jones because right. popularity. So in and that John instance, Williams score. Oh, yeah, that absolutely helps as well. But that instance is like, I'm not a Pulp Fiction adventure movie fan. But if I mm-hmm. was, I don't know how I'd feel about Indiana Jones getting all that popularity. Is it a good example of the genre? Yeah. But right, do I like I, it taking attention away from the thing that started it? I don't know. I, I really don't know. That yeah, I I get it. I really do. I I really really do. I just I just really really think that Undertale is a much more character driven game and It is. And because that's I think of because of the it's not about like the pacifism sure that was that was that was cool in 2015 because it was like oh you do you do the good guy thing you get the good guy you do the bad guy thing you get the bad thing but yeah. it's because of it's because of the way that these characters react to what you're doing right it's supposed to be yeah. it's supposed to be kind of that moment of like whoa oh i kind of thought that what i was doing was inconsequential and i think that's because most games with morality systems have like sort of uh they've conditioned us to think that their morality systems are basic manipulate or manipulatable yeah it is action one is good action two is bad do action one to get good ending do action two to get bad ending Mm -hmm. and undertale plays with that by making it remember almost every single choice you make and having a multitude of different endings and branches of endings based on each individual action you take. And that's right. super interesting. But I also I, hate what it does to player agency. Because it, it it's makes entirely you, about player agency. I know, but it makes you feel I feel like as the player I have no point to be there because the game tells you what to do and you can either listen to it or ignore it it doesn't tell you what to do but if if you you, ignore it if you go in if you go in blind yeah and you don't know about this activist passive activist yeah pacifist or genocide routes however you want to label them you're going to get the worst ending and be confused why everybody loves this game then you're going to play it again and do the pacifist run, and then you're going to be like, now I get it. And then you're going to avoid the genocide, the genocide run forever, because the entire point of the genocide run is not to do it. But then people do it. And I hate that the concept is, it is an entire aspect of the game, it is an entire route that you are not supposed to play. It makes you feel bad about it. And what's worse, and what I hate about it, genuinely, is that by does take away player agency by fully preventing the good ending from ever occurring again on a future playthrough because now you are not you you are an evil avatar taking over the body of the main character and any good deed that you do perform from now on is nullified you are a puppet and i get that's what the game is trying to say but also Fuck you. 
I don't want to be a puppet. The, that, that's just the point, man. If you don't like that, then it's like, man, you would hate Spec Ops. <laughs> I mean, you hate Spec would. Ops anyway, but it's the just, shooter. It really feels like, why, why am I here? As the player, what am I doing here? Well, that's where that's why that's where I think that Undertale kind of succeeds in that message of pacifism is the way that the pacifist route isn't just, you know, the the right way or the real ending or whatever. It's that it's more fun. <laughs> it's it, it, like the the opportunities that you get for gameplay are just cooler. I don't know about that even. And so like I haven't played the genocide route yet. But like the, for me at least, so Undertale for me is, it's a, um, like, it's a story game. It's, you play it for the story. I don't ever, I've, I've found the, and I'm sure this isn't a new take, but like the, um, the battle system is really not, I'm not into it. I think the the um, wow like okay that's one of my favorite aspects of it so that explains a lot about why you don't like it. The shmup parts are neat. I like those and those are that's a fascinating way to include like your like actions in like uh in battle without turn-based battles feeling boring. Mm-hmm. But the mercy system just doesn't work to me because every enemy has one root you do trial and error and then from then on whenever you find them you know how to beat them with one instance and because the turn-based battles are not based on keeping your health up in the traditional rpg sense it's just a matter of you do the you do the gameplay thing of the shmup and then you do the gameplay thing of do the one thing that solves your problem and I just find that, like, once, like, finding the the bosses are the best part of the game because it's the big thing you have to do, you have to endure. But because you're playing pacifist route, you know the only option is not to kill them. So you just kind of are waiting out this game. You're waiting out this, uh, this battle. Whereas, like, in, like, the, um... What is it? The dog battle, the, where you're fighting the dog and you just pet him a bunch of times? That was pretty terrific. You pet him a bunch of times and he fucking rockets off to space. That was terrific. Listen, I think that you're blaming the game for b- when you're imposing on yourself. I don't... I can see that, like, partially, but I. it's a matter of, like, what... Like, if in- you're bored, you can just go ahead and slap somebody. Right, but I don't... The whole point is I don't I want to get the best ending, right? So you got to not slap anybody. The mm-hmm. gameplay is designed around the mercy system. That's the the point of it. But when you make it boring to mercy them, and maybe you could make an argument that that's the that, you know, sa- like not killing people isn't fun. And you gotta you gotta dredge through it. I just found that in an RPG, the battles are supposed to be uh, interesting, and they're supposed to keep you on your toes. And when you have, there's two different kinds of battle systems to me. There's the big numbers, and there's the small numbers. So Undertale is a small numbers game because you never go past double digits. 
So that's something like a Paper Mario, um, like anything that you have a small amount of numbers to deal with, which means every hit counts. That means you have very little um, leeway for like mistakes and um, experimentation because you will like the turns are precious. Every turn you should be doing something important. Whereas num- uh, RPGs with the bigger numbers, it more so encourages setup times and buffing and debuffing enemies and playing like playing that um, sort of tennis ball game of back and forth. I attack them, they attack me, I heal myself, I use a different attack, I see what works. There's more going on, and I think, again, Undertale, it, it's a story game. You're playing it for the story, so when I'm in towns and talking to people i'm like yeah this is sick and then i get through to the battles and i'm just like all right let's let's maybe that's why you like earthbound them because despite being a very uh very unconventional rpg outside of the battle systems i'd say the battles are the most normal part of the whole damn thing absolutely i i think that's really interesting that the the thing that like breaks you on undertale is that the because i find that the i get a lot of enjoyment out of the battles because it's i mean like i first of all there's not a lot of repetition for the enemies there's usually if there is going to be a like a type of enemy that you have to fight you'll fight them maybe three times tops i will say i do really like how each enemy has a attack type and when paired up with other enemies, they create new obstacles that stack on top of each other. I think that's a really cool method. But again, then it just goes into Deltarune's way better at it. Deltarune is more of an RPG kind of game, and the battle system is way more engaging because you're you're you still have the small numbers mechanic, but you're dealing with three people, which means you're juggling. And when sure, you have to but... juggle things and you're you're constantly moving between different kinds of actions when each character has a different uh, unique property to them, it just adds more depth and more variety to a game where, again, battles are not the point of Undertale. Like, the battles aren't yeah, the thing that's that what I was gonna say. keeps you it's coming like, back. It's the, it's the characters. Like, I, I'm Hold in on, the battle. I cannot hear you. Hello. The battle is like... Can you hear me? Yes. The battle's like to me at least were just to experience whatever this wacky character was and get uh, the amount of characterization that happens in those short battles with like the fact that i remember washua is I crazy remember, i don't remember washua well you didn't care very much which one's that it's the turtle that has a, a washing machine fucking i have no idea man See that's see, and that's why I didn't want to start talking about Undertale because it would have it would have spiraled, and I didn't want to end this on a negative note. I do like Undertale. It's I know just way do. more fun to shit on it, you know. <laughs> no, I get it. That's why I that's why I lambast the Beatles whenever I can. Um, Dude, the Beatles kind of underrated. So, but to bring <laughs> it back to Earthbound, um, yes. Also, one of these days, I will make a full video explaining my beef with undertale because i feel like seven hour video right in in like a an impromptu 
method like this podcast, I'm not making good points. Sure. But I have good points to make. And I think outside of my personal bias heavily against it, I do just have a fundamental issue with the game that prevents me from liking it as much as other people do. But I do like it a whole lot. Um, and that's why I'm excited for Deltarune chapters 3 through 7, because he's got it. He what found the magic. What can say about Earthbound besides... You know, I guess the it, just in terms of the battle system, I... I like, wish you, you never forget it. You you I, never ever ever forget it. You know the the psychedelic backgrounds, the scrolling HP bar, the like the Dragon Quest inspired first person view looking like it is. It's iconic, and I I wish more games used a scrolling HP bar because it's such a cool concept, and it makes battles kinetic in a way it's, that. It's the other way, RPGs can. It's the right way to. It's just. It's just the right amount of ARPG for me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just enough. And absolutely, I. I think that also there's just something really like the first encounter with some enemies is like crazy because a lot of the times the real world sprites in the game that mm. you know will jump around and then run up to you. So like. The first time that I got to Foreside and a taxi rolled up to me. Yeah. And then it's like this absolute it it's so funny. Every single time the first time you encounter an enemy and you see this goofed up stupid looking thing. It's, and it's just like, Herbie fully loaded. And it's like, this thing's trying to kill you right now. Get your baseball bat and get ready. Yeah. That the first time that I got attacked by the stop sign. Did you I'm stop? Not, I'm not going to lie to you. I laughed so hard I almost pooped. That's, <laughs> it's pretty good. And also, shout out to the localizers who made the enemy names. The enemy names are fantastic. The enemy names are so, like, it's so entertaining. I, That's I what, think like, the only part always... that I could complain about is when you have to deal with a, a ridiculous amount of the same enemy i think a really early example in the game is uh dealing with the the punks the pogo punks and the uh mm. the skateboarding guys outside of the arcade They're that's i will say the biggest issue i have with earthbound is that that beginning grind it's very difficult at the beginning and the game just kind of throws you under a bus and you just kind of have to deal with it I don't. I, I can't imagine how many people try the game and get to that and go fuck this and never pick it up again. Yeah, it's that's the thing. Like the game is not difficult. It's difficult in maybe three areas, and that's the beginning area is one of them, and that's just kind of unfortunate for you know people starting the game. Yeah, it's also I, there's it's also the that same thing. Ridiculous... It's the same thing. It's the same thing that every <laughs> it's the same thing every RPG deals with, which is the beginning where you don't have any of your abilities, and so you really only have one option, and it makes battles be like Punch. you either win or you lose, and you keep doing that until there are more options. And that's just every RPG that, right. at the beginning. It also really doesn't help that your only PSI ability is ridiculously expensive compared to other ones that you get through other characters as you progress see i love that because ness is not an attacker he's 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 a healer he's a tank he's yeah. got good hp he's got good defense and he heals which and he does status on a macro scale if you if you came to me 
and told me, hey, you should play this RPG. You get a cast of four eventually, but you're you start out as a tank and you don't get a you don't get an offense character until about mm, four or five hours in. I'd go, you have a great day now. Goodbye. Yeah, but it it just kind of works because I mean, starting as a tank makes sense because you just kind of you you roll through everything. You got to roll with the punches, man. It's also but, very funny the way that you know your traditional RPG stuff. You'll get like uh, you know up uh, better swords, maybe different types of bows and arrows for range stuff. Some mana yeah. in there for some magic attacks, a staff of some sort, baseball bats, slingshots, PP, uh, zip zap guns. Those are pretty terrific. The fact that Jeff just keeps getting armed with more and more expensive military equipment and nobody by the end of it, he eye. has a rocket launcher. Hell yeah, <laughs> dude! Did you go Bazooka Town? Yeah. Did you did okay? Because oh, yeah. that's that's where you get like fucking multi bottle rockets and yep. bazookas, and Jeff just becomes the best. He's you an first absolute are like unit. What a fucking loser! He doesn't even have magic in this magic based game, and then you're like. Oh wait, I made a huge mistake. Yeah, the multi-bottle also, his... rockets end things so quickly. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is it is the equivalent of firing off twenty individual bottle rockets, and they just go. I didn't know and that. That's terrific. that really explains why that works so well. <laughs> oh yeah, in so in the in uh, in Japan, the bottle rocket is just called. So actually, that's another fun fact. They're not actually bottle rockets; they're pencil rockets. Um, Violence. And in, in in Japan, there the bottle rocket is one, and then the big bottle rocket is not one big bottle rocket; it's five bottle rockets, and then the multi bottle rocket is twenty. So it does five individual bottle rockets, and then twenty individual bottle rockets, which creates why there's such the big spread of damage. That's nuts. I'm so like, I I really love the. I think it's funny too that you you were talking about it earlier that like. You never kill anybody in this game. And yet it's so... Like, I get it. It's totally childlike logic that, yes, I hit this guy with a baseball bat hard enough and it knocked the evil spirit out of him. But yeah. it's such a funny image to me every time. Like, yeah, that guy's that guy's done. His head's cracked open. Oh, yeah, we burned him. We burned him with fire. <laughs> but that's fine. Everything's we, fine. We froze him to death and, and shot him with a rocket launcher. He'll be good. Yeah. Shout out to um uh Jeff's gay roommate Tony. Tony's a real one. Tony Tony was a real one. Helped him get out of there. Right? He got in he got his hands and knees for his best friend. And I think that's beautiful. I'll get down on my hands and knees for you know what, never mind, I'm not doing that. Um No, I wanna the, know who would you get on your hands and knees for? Uh for Christ? Maybe ScarJo. What do you mean, maybe? My wife. Borat? I get on my hands and knees for Sasha Baron Cohen. I think I'd give him a firm handshake and like a little slap on the shoulder and be like, he'd I appreciate what you've done. He'd give such good handshakes. He'd give the best handshakes, I bet. He, give, he gives a lot of handshakes as Borat or as uh, the that like israeli general character that he made up for that other series he did yeah um earthbound's a fun game go play earthbound i think i really like the part where you get the pack of like you have to the the, the only way to get 
progress as Jeff is to get a pack of bubble gum and let the monkey have some bubble gum so that you can yeah. ride the Loch Ness monster across a lake. And then you meet Brick Road. A man named a man who wants to be a road. And by God darn God gosh darn dang dong it, he does it. Earthbound my is man, so insane. My man becomes a dungeon. I think what it, what it, you know what maybe let's let's end this by I'm going to talk about the part of the game that on my first playthrough I thought was really sincere and sweet and on my second playthrough I thought was hilariously awful. Um and that's Hit it. that's when you uh after all of the shenanigans in Saturn Valley, after dealing with these these goobers, dude, I can't believe we've gone this long and we haven't even talked about the Mister Saturns, the absolute nightmare alien creatures that are just a little head with legs, and Boy they oing. talk in a silly voice. I fucking love them. They're Mister Saturn's my boy. They're they're just there, you know. Shout out to Doctor Saturn who hangs out in a trash can. Best doctor gives in you, the game. And he gives you free medical treatment. What a G. I, but see, that just totally checks out that, like, you know, it's not enough to say, okay, we have all the same amenities as in any other, uh, you know, village or whatever. It's like, it's like in a Pokemon game, you would never go to somewhere that's, like, secluded and they have a little, like, shop set up and it's like, yeah, man, we're, we, we, don't, we don't really, li- we kind of live off the grid out here, but I'll heal your Pokemon for free if you want. Never. Yeah. You'll never have that. Well, because they heal you for free anywhere. I love destroying your points. I wasn't really thinking about that, but you get what I'm saying. You know, I do. You wouldn't. They they wouldn't break structure. They wouldn't. They wouldn't be like, oh yeah, here, just take six pokeballs on the house, man. Yeah, it's it's so. Well, except when they do that at the beginning of every game. They do it at the beginning of the game. They don't do it like halfway through with Saturn Valley. Okay, I see what you're saying. The because I kept doing this thing where, like, after a certain point, I realized once you get the teleport ability, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to teleport to Saturn Valley, actually, because that's going to save me a lot of money. They're the best. Um, oh, okay. Uh, okay, yes. Say, say I was just going to say the hot spring sequences and the coffee sequences. That's what I was going to say. Well, then hit me with it, baby. Because the first time that it happens, I'm like... You know, this is lengthy, but like I'm like the music's nice, the scrolling text is kind of pretty. I'm it's vibing with it. It's it's a proper break. And is it is it is it like the direct middle point of the game or is it the first end of the first act? It's like yeah, the first third because then the second third is when you have right. the coffee with the Tenda village. Right, right. So, so yeah, I'd say like one third of the game. So yeah, the with the Saturns being I don't know. It's just, it's such a weird contrast because the Saturns are like the most childish thing in the whole game. And then you have this very zen introspective moment and it lasts like two and a half minutes and then yeah. you move on. On my second playthrough, I felt like it felt like a bit out of Liza or you call it Lisa um, where you You're know, tearing me apart. You do the Liza. Just those moments where, like, the the NPCs either won't stop talking or, like, you climb the rope for a really long time and there's a middle finger at the top. I was yeah. just like, I was just like, don't get on with it. 
Yeah. But it I was, never got that. But I, I get what you're saying, but, but though. It, but, like, it, I wasn't actually frustrated. It was almost hilarious to me the entire yeah. time. I was just like, you you really, you're just, you're just sitting there. You're scrolling through that. Look at, oh, more. It's very, <laughs> it's out of left field, but I think it works. And I think also, I, I just recently watched a video on this. Um, so I may just be parroting their opinions, which I do often. But, like... The idea of Ness as a silent protagonist that you slowly learn about and discover his personality is super fascinating. The only instances in which you learn about him are through each of the eight sanctuary spots where you get like a brief um, glimpse at what his childhood was like. You get the entirety of Magicant, which is just a world inside of his mind in which you explore his deepest, darkest secrets, which is a whole other thing and the coffee and hot spring sequences in which Ness sort of reflects in on himself alongside like a narrator talking to him and you sort of get this feeling of you know Ness as a as an individual is more than what you see him as which is just a silent protagonist you control right he has this will of his own that you are you are slowly um piecing together and you uncover that like yes he's a courageous boy who does what's right and all this this these things but you really you learn about him more than any other character specifically through these instances and i think that's what make him such a fascinating character despite being entirely silent right you know? yeah i agree the, the way that they slowly like sprinkle little tidbits in there it's and very fascinating leave- my mother just came home with supper, so I'm going to leave, but I will leave you on this. Lumine Hall, the moment in which Ness's thoughts are projected on a giant glowing cave wall, is the coolest moment in that game, and I love it. It's my favorite thing in that game. I adore the concept of it, and I just want people to go look up the Lumine Hall section of the game. I'll agree with that. It's gorgeous, it's beautiful, it's simple, and I love it. You could say that about the whole game. Yeah, we'll close it out with that. Um, Pirate this game! Download it on an emulator! Nintendo hates you and doesn't want you to play it! Play Mother 3! Do it for that one, too! You don't really have a choice. (laughs) So do it especially hard. Do it or Freeman's Freeman's gonna get you. I'm gonna cry. Like gonna Lucas get you in the game. <laughs> okay, we're done. Exit. 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 Exit.